The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning. You know, it occurred to me to <clears throat> read this poem because, excuse me, this is such an intimate group. I don't know about you. Excuse me. But when I get up in the morning now, and I go and I uh, open my curtains, and it's a new day, and uh, I'm just amazed. I'm amazed that it's a new day. It's like it was just yesterday. And I had the experience um, last Monday. I take out the garbage on Mondays. And it was kind of raining. And I was like, wow, it's Monday. Yeah, it's Monday. I've got to take out the garbage. It was just Monday. And now it's raining, it's going into winter, and it just, where did the summer go? Time seems to be moving very fast, very quickly now. And um, I don't think it moves so quickly for kids. I remember when I was a kid, it, it was like, Oh, it's summer, you know, just no big deal. It's summer, okay, school's out. Oh, time to go back to school. It's Christmas or Hanukkah, something like that. Didn't think about it, but now I'm, I'm 75, maybe, the, maybe because um, statistics tell me <laughs> The end is getting close. Maybe that's in the background. You know, this is, it's, it's not, well, I do contemplate on death. It's a great thing to do to contemplate on death. But just, but not that. Just, it's in the background. It's coming. The end of this is coming very soon. I'm sorry to say for all of you too, even if you're in your 40s or 30s or whatever, it's coming. It's going to come just like that. So I think of what matters. I don't. I don't think I actually say what matters to me most, but I do. I do. I'm aware of what matters to me most, and uh, I endeavor to practice what matters to me most. And that is to wake up, to be aware. That's what matters to me most. 
I saw this beautiful um, I mean, just talk by Thomas Keating. He's a uh, is he Catholic? I'm not sure if he's is he Catholic. Yeah, he, he's a he's a iconic iconic wise man, beautiful wise man. He's 95. He looks great, but uh, he was saying, you know, just this time of his life, all he wants to do is to live in the presence of God. So he meditates at least four hours every day, sometimes five. And his intention is to carry that with him all day long, carry that, carry to be in touch with God all day long. For me, it's to be in touch with awareness all day long. Awareness, I suppose, is like God to me. You know, awareness is. It's kind of like God, you know, it's like fill the room right now, fill the room with your awareness, right? You can do it. It's boundless. It's abundant. Awareness is abundant, it's full, it's rich. It fills all the space. It can sustain us, it can, it can hold us. It, um, we don't ever need to be lonely. You could, uh, you know, say awareness is sacred. It's magic. And what is this? What What is this? Here, that's filling the room here. Does it end with me and begin with you or what? No, no, it's just, it's something shared. We all have this consciousness. Stop being conscious. Can't do it. It is you know, I think it's indisputable, really. Consciousness is real. It's real, right? Does anybody disagree with that? It's real. Everything else comes and goes. Everything else. The sensations of the body come and go. Listen to uh, the sounds. Maybe if you can, listen to the sounds in your inner ear your inner sounds, 
Some people can get in touch with that. Kind of a high-pitched ringing or hard to say. One teacher calls this the sound of silence. Or the sound of angels. Because it's always here. That sound is always here. Can you hear it? Raise your hand if you can hear it. Yeah? Oh, you can all hear it. Great. Um... Some, peop- some teacher calls it cosmic shimmerings. Isn't that nice? <laughs> and it's always changing. It's changing. But awareness of the cosmic shimmerings doesn't change, or of the, of the constant shimmerings of everything. And we've had this dear, dear awareness all of our lives. We had it when we were babies. We didn't have all the other stuff when we were babies. We didn't have some sense of this self and this self and this self and this self and this self. just had consciousness. My grandson, he's two and a half, he never uses the word I. He says, show you when he wants to show me something. Show you. Or he likes to get in my car and sit on my lap and play with the windshield wipers. And my, My windshield wiper spray is like it's I don't have anymore because he's always pressing on the windshield. He loves to see the spray go. But he he says he says drive, and drive drive means it means drive. He wants to go drive, drive. He doesn't say I want to go drive. He doesn't know about that I stuff yet. <coughs> but he'll learn. <coughs> he'll go to school. <coughs> he'll go to preschool pretty soon. And he'll start learning all the, you know, more and more and more and more and more about the self, the self. So we learn about this self, and but there's always the consciousness. We know we're in grade school. There's consciousness when we're in grade school. There's consciousness when we're in middle school, high school. Really conscious in high school of these horrible things that happen. And on and on. And we're conscious right now. And it's the same, it's the same dear 
consciousness that's been our best friend, that's known everything, known everything that we go through, everything that we think, everything that we feel, all of our experiences, all of our pains and happinesses and pleasures and joys. and There's this... Uh, <coughs> called Love After Love by Derek Walcott. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, Sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself. To the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your life. Here's another one. This is by William Stafford. It's called The Way It Is. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread. That's what I'm doing today, talking about the thread. But it's hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you can do stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. So in thinking of these things, I thought of this poem, another poem. It's not a poem, it's sort of a... Just a reading. This is by Thomas Merton. That's That's the wrong one. If you want to identify me, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, all the stuff that we ask each other. What do you do? I was just at a 
family reunion and everybody said, what, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? But ask me what I'm living for in detail. Ask me what I think is keeping me from living fully for the thing I want to live for. What do you live for? And what's getting in the way of you living fully? for what you want to live for. When I was at the Zen Center, this was a long time ago, this was in 1969, the teacher was this great teacher, Suzuki Roshi. And... um, He was four feet 11, he was so slight, he was dying of cancer, so thin, weak, he had kind of a greenish pallor. And we were sitting, and and, uh, it's traditional in Zen, you sit facing the wall on a raised tongue, kind of like that, on cushions facing the wall. And if you're falling asleep, which you do because you sit, get up very early and you sit, sit long hours. So as you're falling asleep, somebody comes in. There's this stick they're carrying like this, walking through the zendo. And uh, they uh, tap you on the, up here with the stick and you bend over. And they whack you on the shoulder with your stick in this soft spot. It doesn't hurt if they do it well. If they hit you on the bone, if they miss, it really hurts. And it doesn't sound very, very much, just kind of a thud. But if they hit you here, it's a huge whack. And it, and it goes, electrifies your system. And you go that, and they hit you here, whack. And then you bow to each other. Well, I was sitting in this quiet zendo very early in the morning. And I hear this, this loud, almost like a growl. And the words were wake up, but it was like this angry growl, like very loud, wake up, wake up. And uh, before I knew it, I heard going through the zendo, this whack, 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 so fast. And then I was, oh, that's Suzuki Roshi. He's hitting everyone in the zendo. He's hitting every 60 people, everybody. And his hits were so powerful and right on the mark, so loud. And it happened. It was, it was magic. It happened before. It was over before you knew it began almost. And then it was quiet again, but it wasn't quiet. Because awareness filled the room. Wakefulness filled the room. The huge heart of compassion of this dying weak man for us to wake up. Suzuki Roshi, he uh, 
He was at Yosemite. And he looked up, uh, up this mountain where this waterfall was, and he saw at the top a river way up high. It was 1,300 feet high. This is a famous waterfall in Yosemite. And he saw the river up there, and he saw the water. It was a huge waterfall pouring down, 1,300 feet, and it hit a plateau, smacked against that plateau, and then went and rushed over that and went down. And he looked up and he he saw these drops, like the, the the river had, you know, it was drops of water that were coming down, individual drops of water. He could see that, and he and he felt. He said he felt sorry for the drops because he was. He thought they were afraid. They had forgotten that they were the river. They'd forgotten. And then they would happily rejoin the river at the bottom and they would then remember who they were, that they were the river. And they'd be happy again, safe again, part of the river. So there's this panic, you know. These these, these drops of water, they're, they're 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 panicking. Like, who am I? What's going on here? What's what am I? Who am I? There's another river. of a poem by Thich Nhat Hanh. <clears throat> it is like a wave who believes that she is subject to birth and death. Every time she comes up and then begins to go down, she is afraid of dying. But if a wave realizes that she is water, she is no longer afraid. Before going up, she is water. Before going down, she is water. And after going down, she continues to be water. There is no death. So it is very important that the wave does meditation. what I'm always telling people. It's very important you do meditation and realize that she is a wave, but that she is at the same time water. And when she realizes she is water, she is no longer afraid of dying. She feels wonderful going up. She feels wonderful going down. She is free from fear. Wouldn't that be nice to remember that we're water, to remember that we're that we are the river? 
and to no longer be afraid of death. To know what's important. So what gets in the way? What gets in the way of what is important to you? I love, uh, find it very, very helpful what the Buddha said gets in the way. And it's just so uh, remarkable to me. You know, it just boggles my mind. Uh, the, The Buddha classified what gets in the way what makes us suffer, what those water drops grab hold of to, you know, because they're so afraid, is the same. There are four categories of, of sufferings. They're the same sufferings of what we suffer, what I suffer, what I think we all suffer today. Exactly the same. I can put all of my suffering into these four categories. And yet, the same categories applied to those people 2,650 years ago. Wearing maybe something made out of bark. without electricity, without plumbing, without concrete sidewalks, without buildings, without heat, air conditioning. You know, the, the, the kind of lives they led were so remarkably different. I'm imagining so much more simple in a certain way than ours. One of them, I'll just give you an example. One of those categories is we want to be liked. Human beings want to be liked. (laughs) We want to be liked so bad. We suffer about that. All human beings, you know, they think this person is important, you know, and I want that person to like me or love me, or praise me, or approve of me, or think well of me. Or that person, or that person. And, and it, it is so much, you know, so it's like this wanting, this wanting which hurts in the first place. Wanting hurts. And it's not so noticeable as when you don't get it, then it really hurts. When you're not liked by that, then then it's really noticeable, the hurt, the pain of not being liked, being criticized, 
we're very sensitive to being criticized. Someone raises an eyebrow in a certain way or neglects us or ignores us, blames us, says we are wrong. We suffer, right? They did too. Those kind of little people, you know, maybe, I don't know how tall they were, but not very tall compared to us. I'd love to have a window into their time and be able to understand their language and see how they, how they carried on. You can see it in the Bible. People railing on about their, you know, being the victims of gossip by their neighbors and, you know, wanting, you know, asking God to, you know, be wrathful, you know, on those people, those nasty neighbors. <laughs> and you can think, well, if it was 2,600 years ago, it, must, it was probably 4,000 years ago. It's just something about human beings. Genghis Khan. We don't even know who Genghis Khan was, hardly. I mean, we know the name. But Genghis Khan ruled the world. He was a big shot. He really, he ruled the world much bigger than Trump. (laughs) And he probably cared about what, if people liked him or not. He probably really cared, really motivated him. That's the, the, the second category is wanting to be famous or putting it on a more human level, wanting to be um, liked. It's, it's kind of an extension of the first category, wanting to be liked by your group, whatever your group that we're in. Wanting to be thought well of by the group. If we're a surfer, we want to be thought well of by the group of surfers that we surf with. Really important, vitally important that that group of surfers likes us, approves of us. Then we go go down to surf and it's like, how's it going, man? Bump, hand bumps. And then go surfing together but I don't care about those surfers. I don't know those surfers, but they're vitally important to her, to him. Think about, um, is there a group that you're part of whose approval you care about now? A group that you work with or a group that you are friends with or a group that you're acquaintances with or family. And how painful it is to feel like you're not part of the group. My daughter has this had this kind of frizzy, curly hair, right? And um, 
she began to think of it as a liability. One day she came home, and it was fifth grade, and uh, she came home, and she says, she had this big smile, Daddy, I'm popular. <laughs> she had, the, the popular girl in the fifth grade, her name was Stefana, decided that she really liked Molly. Molly became her best friend. So Molly became popular. Like that. I never knew she cared. I felt so bad when she said that. I thought, oh no. She's in that now, in that mix, in that painful mix. But it's her journey. She had to journey through that, just like we have to journey all through our stickinesses. We've always wanted to be popular, right? In grade school. Junior high school, high school. And on and on, all through our lives, there's... I was part of a fraternity when, you know, all kind of, and just all through our lives we have different groups that we want to belong to. So I'm just imagining these, like these drops of water coming down, frightened because they're going to die or what's going to happen to me, and they grab hold of a group or they grab hold of someone's praise who they feel that person knows what they're doing. Somebody, somebody's got to know what they're doing around here. Awareness is always here, beckoning to us, willing to hold us, keep us safe. Until we, you know, we die. And maybe, who knows, after that. But it's with us on our deathbed, that's for sure. And it could be with us, I hear it's with us in the dying process. We're pretty aware in the dying process. What gets in the way of our deepest desire? Another one, there are four of these. Another one is um, wanting to be successful. If we can just have that badge of success, I'm a success here, maybe that'll make us feel like we belong, that we're, you know, we're branded as something successful, a successful surfer. and being afraid of failure. So whatever realm that you're in, wanting to be successful in that realm, 
And that realm, again, changes as we, over the decades, the realm. I know all of my realms of success as I aged. I'm trying to give up all this stuff myself. I'm trying to take refuge in awareness myself. But at the same time, I know I want to be a successful teacher. But I don't want to stick to that because that's, that's what I'm doing right now. But I wasn't a teacher. You know, 50, I owned a restaurant. Let's see, that was uh, maybe uh, 10 years ago. I owned a restaurant, of all things. <laughs> and I did that for 30 years. So let's see, the fourth one. The last one is um, wanting to grab hold of sensual pleasures. What do you like? What do you like to eat? Gosh, I'm just so amazed. I, I, there, there, I saw this. Um, we watched this show, Mrs. Maisel. Have you ever heard of Mrs. Maisel? It's, it's really a great show. It's on Netflix. Um, but there are all these, you know, it was like, I don't know what decade it was. Do you know? I don't know. Maybe 40s or 50s. But anyhow, there were all these dancing girls, you know, doing this show, this dancing girls not wearing too much and just, you know, being so overtly very sexual, you know. And... Um, you know, they were adorable. And they were, you know, being really sexual and uh, in the dancing. And, and that was the deal, right? Sex is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's all of our lives. Sexual pleasure and, and, and uh, wanting that. And And, um, you know, wanting vacations and wanting a nice home and wanting a nice car and nice clothes and, you know, and, and, and making up our faces if we're a, a woman, you know, so that our faces are attractive and that we're attractive, our bodies are attractive. And, and uh, sensual pleasure, losing ourselves in that. I have this great breakfast every morning. <laughs> I meditate. You know, I'm you know, really meditating, right? And then I'm studying all this Buddhist stuff. And then I have a, this really great thing. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's um, raisin bread. This great raisin bread toast. There's a bakery in San Mateo that makes this great raisin bread. And I toast it and I put great jam and peanut butter, almond butter on that. It's, You can lose yourself in that kind of thing. You forget that you're a raindrop that's falling 1,300 feet. Or the drive to make money. So, 
So much of life is organized around maximum comfort and maximum sensual pleasure. Lives are devoted to making money, doing jobs that we don't even want to do very much, but have to, but also survival is important. So, this is very important. You know, this awareness is very important. And um, it's always there waiting for us. We open the door and we see ourselves. And it's always one step away. Awareness is one step away. If I say to you, be aware. Just You can just be aware, and that can be it. When you're driving, be aware. When you get up and walk, be aware of, my, of your body, be aware. Instead of getting lost in You know, and, and also, and notice, notice when you suffer, you know, notice how it feels and what it's based on. And, and feel, feel the, aware, the, the awareness can accept your suffering. The awareness, um, everything is included. Everything is included. And the awareness is bigger than your problem. You are bigger than your problem. And there's no need to be afraid of your problem. It's important actually to feel your problem. Feel your suffering. There's a, a Tibetan, there's a prayer for Tibetan nuns. They pray for uh, more suffering. They're grateful for their suffering because their suffering brings them more wisdom and compassion. When we feel our suffering, when in awareness, when we're not just completely caught up in our story, but actually just feel it. Feel the stickiness to praise, reputation, sensual pleasures, belonging, not belonging, success. When we feel that, we can have compassion for ourselves just like Suzuki Roshi had compassion for those raindrops. We can have that same concern. And we can have the wisdom to see what it's all about. And to see, wow, I'm just a human being. Like every other human being on earth like every human being that's ever lived, 
I'm just a human being, just like all of them, and I'm sticking to the same stuff that all other being, beings have stuck to. I'm not alone in this suffering. It makes it much more ordinary. It's not this extraordinary event that's happening to me. It's this reflex, this reflex that's part of being a human being, this reactivity. And awareness includes it. And if we see it clearly, then we develop our wisdom. We see what gets in the way. And we can reflect not just that I'm like all other human beings that have ever been all through time worried about someone liking me, (laughs) someone who will die soon, or in our past, someone who may be already dead, you know, they may already be ashes, so important that they like me. The wisdom of seeing that and holding ourselves in that with compassion But also realizing, reflecting on that we, we Buddhists, we meditators, we who take refuge in the ocean, the river, we're just like so many Buddhists all over the world, all through time, Buddhists have been practicing awareness, practicing relief from this suffering through abiding in awareness, that we're part of the vast world of spiritual practitioners trying to free free ourselves, trying to rejoin the river, trying to let go making this effort. We're part of a huge body of beings. Blessed beings. So fortunate. So fortunate to have this sense of liberation. To have this sense of what awakeness is. We're not out there playing golf. We're not out there watching TV all the time. Not that playing golf or watching TV TV is bad, but you know, that's not our refuge. Our refuge is, is here. Here. So we share both. We share the suffering and we share the practice. As I go through my day, and this is a little unusual for, for you, I'm sure, but I listen to that sound in my inner ear 
it's very calming. It's a great mindfulness practice. It's always there. And it calms the mind. The sound of angels. Cosmic shimmering. But it's all cosmic shimmering. Everything is cosmic shimmering. Arising and passing, arising and passing. The leaves and the trees. Suzuki Roshi said, just to be alive is enough. Just to be alive is so much bigger than our problem. Just being alive in the midst of our problem, just noticing, wow, wow, I'm alive. There's life here. There's awareness here. There's shimmering here. And we not only share this with Buddhist practitioners, we share it with all spiritual practitioners. We share it with Father Keating and Thomas Merton and Hindus and Sufis. And Any questions or comments? sit together for a minute. I just had some... Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I really liked the description of the drops panicking uh, off the waterfall. It really describes how it feels when I know I'm lost, right? Or I'm in... I'm in a state of daily distress, you know, just the daily distress. And uh, I know, I know that's happening and it's unnecessary. You know what? I know it's happening and it's unnecessary when I become aware, right? And, um, And if it goes on too long, days, weeks, or whatever, there's this panic that I'll never get back. You know, to the river. Mm. So far, I always do, and meditating is the best way to do that. Yeah, it's just it really resonated. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I just want to say something about that. So um, 
Yeah, um, meditation is really great. You know, it's, it's really great. And, and um, the older I get, the longer I <laughs> meditate. <laughs> Maybe when I'm 100, I'll meditate all day long. I don't know. But um, it's just great. Really great refuge. And, you know, if you... As you do it, you know, you just... It becomes the air you breathe more, more. And... This stuff happens. And it's also uh, really important to not judge ourselves. Or, if we judge ourselves, to not judge our judging of ourselves. You know, or just, just, just go back as far as you, you know, go to accept everything, to accept everything. Everything is okay. And feel it. Feel it in the body. It's okay. Awareness includes everything. We don't, you know, have to grasp at peace, ease, safety, but we can be aware. We can be aware of our suffering and allow ourselves to just to really feel it. Where is it? I've given a lot of Suzuki Roshi quotes today, but he said something that we don't have to let go of anything because it just goes away. Everything, you know, every problem that we've ever had is goes away. Might take longer. I know this woman, she had a really bad problem. She had a really bad problem. She adored her husband. And he was young and he died. It's a big problem. And then, his best friend, one of his best friends, was his attorney. And his best friend sued her. <laughs> for, for, he wanted part of the estate. He thought he was part of the estate. So there, she was locked in this law. I mean, really, you know, it just went on and on. And I talked to her the other day. And she's... Um, not suffering about that. Oh, oh, and also, uh, more, there's more. But anyhow, all of these conditions, all of these, uh, a split in the family, uh, the people that she really, they were very close to her, she split with these people. I mean, I thought, how's she, you know, how's she ever going to get out of this? She's, these dear people have split off from her and she's being sued and her husband's gone. It's changed for her. She's, it's been about a year and a half, two years, and it's changed for her. Anyhow, does any of that address what you're talking about? Yeah. It'll change. Whatever it is, it'll change. And whatever it is, it's... to be accepted. And allowed to change. 
Okay, I'm sorry if I couldn't do better on that, but that's the best I got. <laughs> Anything else? Thank you.